you know, we've had news over the last 24 hours of what was possibly a, a chemical attack in Ukraine. That seems to be questionable still at this point, and I want to get to that in just a second. Hey, everybody, it's Zev. It's becoming more and more expensive to buy groceries, and if you, like me, are trying to get all the nutrients and vitamins you need while still balancing a budget, it's nearly impossible to get all the nutrients you need from the food you eat alone never mind doing it on a budget, then it becomes absolutely impossible. That's why I'm currently doing a 30-day self-imposed Athletic Greens Challenge. The plan is simple. Take the AG1 supplement throughout April and track any increase in energy levels, overall well-being, and vitality, all while boosting my immune system. Today is day seven, and the biggest fear people have about these green drinks is the taste. I happen to love the taste of this drink. It doesn't taste bad at all. It tastes a little fresh, a little tropical, but not too much. Certainly does and taste like your typical green drink. So it gets lots of points on that, and that's why I've made it to day seven. Hopefully, you will try this too. AG1 is engineered to provide all the right nutrients at just the right time. Whether you want increased energy or improved muscle recovery, they've got it covered. And because they care about your wallet too, AG1 will only cost you around three bucks a day. That's a pretty good deal. And there are no hidden fees. To make it easier for you, and because they love you, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative to take ownership of your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome, Michael Kay, who's our expert, our resident expert on the show on the war in Ukraine. Michael, how are you? I'm well, Zev. It's good to see you again. There was this news about a guy named Viktor Medvedchek that came out today. Who And there's a photo, which everyone can see in just a second, where he was um, Mm -hmm. apprehended uh, by the Ukrainian forces. Do you know much about him? Do you want to share a little bit more about who Mr. Medvedchek is? Yes, uh, Viktor Medvedchuk. Ukrainians refer to him as the godfather of Putin's daughter, Mm. which is actually a very significant relationship. So he's a close friend of Vladimir Putin, and he has been a pro-Soviet Union, pro-Russian politician in uh, Ukraine for many years. So he was leading this uh, faction in parliament up until he was uh, charged with treason several months ago and put under house arrest. And what he, what he did was he fled the, uh, his house arrest, and, uh, but he couldn't get out of the country. There were rumors that the Russians had speared him away, at least they tried to make that appear. But it turns out he was hiding in uh, Zakarpatia, the far west of Ukraine. And as you can see there, he was uh, wearing uh, Ukrainian military fatigues, and he was apprehended by the security services of Ukraine and arrested today. Significant thing, because you know this is like someone very close to Putin. It would have really struck him personally uh, the fact that he was, you know, his friend, who he many believe was going to be the person that uh, Putin wanted to put in charge of Ukraine once he'd won this war, if he had ever had a chance to win this war. This was going to be the new leader of Ukraine for the Russians. Yeah, he would have been the puppet. He would have been the Lukashenko type figure. Yeah, for Ukraine. Yes. And it does show you how much the circle around Putin has become so small that he's leaning only on the people he trusts so implicitly from a lifetime of friendship like Mr. Medvedchek to do these things because he's so paranoid right now. He is, just the other day, 150 people from the FSB purged and the an F, FSB uh, chief sent mm-hmm. to a prison. You know, 
What does that tell you, Eric, about the the sensibility of Putin? This this FSB crackdown is quite significant. Well, there seems to be kind of a purge there. Hard telling, not knowing, as we say in Vermont. You know, I have some questions about just how many generals have gone out and, uh, you know, the, the replacement of the talent and whatnot. But then again, you know, the whole thing's not going well. So everyone's, well getting, a him, crappy yeah. a- everyone's getting a crappy HR review this quarter. <laughs> no bonuses. No one's getting a toaster oven for this uh, Ukraine thing. No one is getting a toaster oven, but, you know, there is still word that Putin is continuing tonight to be, you know, as aggressive as ever in a statement or I think his speech, actually, he insisted on Tuesday that the war in Ukraine would succeed and that peace talks had reached a dead end, making clear that he had no intention of pulling back from a military campaign that had left cities in ruins, forced millions to flee and raised disturbing accounts of atrocities committed by Russian soldiers, but the operation's goals, he said, centered on the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, where pro-Russian separatists had been fighting since 2014. It was the first time that Mr. Putin himself had effectively defined a more limited aim to the war, focusing on control of the Donbass region rather than seizing all of Ukraine. Michael, that is a significant change for Putin. Yes, but it's still not confronting reality because he can talk about this ongoing war but there's no acknowledgement of why the first phase of it failed and no awareness of why this second phase will fail for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. He's confronted with the problem is he may want to maintain a full war, but his army is incapable of bringing in replacements. Mm-hmm. There, his mobilization plan has completely failed across all of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he talks about Donbass, the actual troops that make up the so-called army there is mostly made of locals who are forcefully recruited. They're impressed, you know, like the press gang, you know, in the Navy from centuries ago kind of thing. Uh, Young men being dragged off the street and, you know, forced into uniform, poorly trained, poorly armed, and thrown into battle. Uh, The Ukrainians call them uh, meat. The Russians send them in advance of their... uh, you know, Russian Federation formations to just draw the Ukrainian fire kind of thing. So the casualties are horrendous. I've been tracking the casualties, which, you know, have shifted from the north of Ukraine and now it's in the east of Ukraine. And it between 100 and 300 fatalities a day on the Russian side. And I think those numbers are realistic, uh, given what we're seeing from drone footage from things like this about these futile battles that these soldiers are being thrown into and this is after the battle they haven't changed in any significant way over several days you know we're talking about a a village here and a village there nothing significant are we still saying 100 to 300 people per day even with the withdrawal after the withdrawal from uh, the kiev region yes ukrainians are doing a very impressive job of fighting back against well don't, don't forget the ukrainians are able to strike to the rear mm. and the russians are hopeless in these positions they have undefended supply lines mm. poor quality troops no defensive perimeters they're just sitting ducks you just see their columns stretched out along a roadway mm. and they're within artillery range of the uh, ukrainians you know people talk about oh they've got bayraktar drones and they've got you know this advance yes they do but they're getting these columns with sometimes Soviet-era artillery. Mm. They're just good at using it, and they're within range. 
Mm-hmm. And now they're corrected nowadays with drones and so on, but they're uh, really good at this. And that explains these horrendous casualties that the Russians are suffering. Yeah, it's a mess. I mean, it's been six, seven weeks. They've not mm. done anything uh, strategically that they've prepared for. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Ukraine, it's going to surpass Waterloo and Trafalgar in the annals of military catastrophes. Mm. That's my prediction. In the next three weeks, we're going to see a lot of fighting going on there, though, because it certainly looks like the Russians have amassed a lot of people along the Donbass-Russian border on the Russian side. They haven't yet you know, entered the Ukraine war, entered the theater. Uh, who knows how well-trained they are? They're probably not well-trained. They're probably not well-led. But that does not mean that there will not be a lot of casualties as they attempt to try and extend their region of what they've been able to capture in the Donbass and you know, try to capture that entire region. Who knows, all the way up to the Dnipro River is probably where they're thinking. I mean, that's not going to happen, but there'll be a bloody war still before we're out of this in the next two or three weeks. Yeah, and it will be civilians, mm-hmm. you see, who will be these casualties. Right. You know, and you can see that the Russians are doing things like they're targeting the means of evacuation, uh, such as the rocket attack on the Kramatorsk train station. You know, so it will be uh, civilians who will uh, bear these casualties, unfortunately. It is unfortunate. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky looking emboldened, though, right now. He had a meeting from Boris Johnson, and, you know, that was good video. That, If anything, is, or if that's an optic that Vladimir Putin did not want to see. It was that particular picture shoot of Boris Johnson and, and uh, Zelensky strolling through Kiev. I mean, that is not what he thought he was going to see seven weeks after his it's- campaign started. Yeah, it's huge that, you know, there's this surprise event. There's Boris Johnson. And the first thing people asked is, how did he get there? And the answer turns out, well, he rode the train. Um, (laughs) And uh, that's how he got there. And then, yeah, he went for a stroll in Kiev. And there was a man who was just out shopping and he recognized him and he spoke in Ukrainian and he just kind of was the voice of the Ukrainian people there. He said, thank you to Britain, because Mm. all of uh, Ukraine knows about these uh, NLAW anti-tank guided missile uh, systems that have been used to great effect that were uh, donated by Britain and are still being sent, you know, in great numbers. So, you know, and Ukrainians know about all this. So the effect in certainly in Ukraine is huge if that visit. In the United States, well, the Department of Defense is meeting about how to ramp up construction. They've met with manufacturers of weapons in order to ramp up weapons manufacturer. One of the things they've discovered, I think, which is kind of interesting, is that the Soviet-era weapons that they've decided to give to or needed to give to the Ukrainians, because they were absolutely needed, need different shells, they need different sized um, what is it called? Ammunition? I don't know what you call it for a, one of those things. But, you know, they're different in size. The Soviets had a different kind of ammunition, which I think have to be manufactured now by the Americans if they want a, a large supply of them, which I think they do. It's interesting, amongst other things, that they want the American manufacturers and the military sector to step up in terms of manufacturing new weapons for the war there. Well, it's good that Ukraine went as far as they had been along in their NATO standardization. Mm. So, for example, you know that the United States has sent millions of rounds of ammunition. And the one reason they can do that is that Ukraine had already adopted the NATO standard, the caliber and so on for small arms, Mm. uh, which is wonderful news. Because if they were still using, you know, Soviet era, you know, AK-47s and that kind of thing, it wouldn't have been possible. So, yeah, but you're right. With larger caliber ammunition, it is a problem. It is an issue. And, you know, my approach to this is the United States 
has this reputation of being the can-do country. You know, if, if they need to, you know, the arsenal of democracy. And if, if you need to change a caliber and start to manufacture this, then get it done. That's the spirit. I mean, they are. Certainly they are doing it. It is, it is the can-do country, and America is doing it. I mean, there's no doubt uh, Joe Biden has done pretty much everything that Zelensky has asked for and more and continues to be at the forefront of a incredible global alliance to supply and support with intelligence, I should add. There's a lot of intelligence support going to the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, the, this whole issue of interoperability through NATO standards, well, that's the dot .223 and a .308 for the, the Winchester, I forget. But, yeah, there's, you know, your couple types of uh, your ammunition standardization. But here's the larger point that I find amusing here, uh, darkly amusing in the strategic where Russia suffers away, not the amusement of war, but um, that we've used a bunch of the old Soviet era weapons that a bunch of the old Soviet bloc countries still had around. We've given that to Ukraine and they've beaten Russia about the head and shoulders. And now we're going to get them some new stuff from us. So we're not only going to, you know, arm Ukraine up with not just NATO standardized stuff, but, you know, shiny new American and British made and French made equipment that's going to make our GDP go up a little. There's an argument of whether or not military expenditures should be counted in uh, GDP, but we can have that economic discussion some other time. Uh, Meanwhile, Putin's uh, oligarchs are going to be in rowboats (laughs) in Arkhangelsk. Their uh, acorn and hummus-based economy not doing so well. And we'll not only have had, you know, Ukraine really enter the world of nations in kind of a... um, you know, in a heroic fashion. And let's not forget that Ukraine was a, a complicated, it's always been a complicated mm. country, but it's, it was complicated of recent given the amount of power that, uh, you know, the Russian aligned mafia had there, how much corruption was there. Um, it's been a complicated place since the fall of the Soviet Union. This is almost like a rebirth and a rebranding. Whereas the last 20 years, there was this, are you kind of pro-European? Are you pro Russian, which was heavily involved with the the power base of the Russian mafia. And here you've got a full-on assault from Russia that's straight-up classic military enemy stuff. Mm. And now Ukraine is repelling them back. And, you know, there was a lot of question about, you know, their position before, but now there's a lot of clarity if Mm. they want it. And, you know, if you can imagine a country in that new position and then you arm it with... You know, we do a little lend lease and then you give them the best stuff from Raytheon, BAE, mm. uh, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed yeah. Martin. And then an you got Putin's nightmare. He's taken a country that was kind of split, that they had, you know, compromised in different ways to boom, aligned with NATO, possibly part of NATO soon, and then just armed up with all brand new hardware. And meanwhile, they're going to be trying to, you know, put new coats of paint on their rowboats for their oligarchs who are going out in summer in uh, Murmansk. And this also applies to other countries on the Russian border. I mean, they all have the same weapons. They all have a lot of Soviet-era weapons. So whatever they're giving the Ukrainians that might not work with the old Soviet-era weapons, that's going to be available to the other countries along the Russian border that uh, Putin might have his eye on, because they are part of NATO. And so that'll be interesting to see, you know, that certainly changes the calculus on the battlefield for him if he has an expansion beyond what he's trying to expand to right now, which isn't even likely. So interesting stuff. Um, I mean, he just lost strategically kind of with as good as it was going to get. 
yeah. where, you know, the, you know, Ukraine didn't have the latest and greatest, like mm. for the, you know, surface to air missile batteries, you had the S 300, you don't have the latest, uh, us and NATO interoperative version of that. You know, we gave them some, now we gave them some new stuff like javelins and N laws, but really there was a lot of old, you know, basic artillery and, uh, older equipment. And, uh, when you have a war like this, you run through some of that and you need some more new stuff. And so, Putin, you know, and not to mention the fact that Putin's, you know, cratered his economy in order to do this. And that's before we get to the news today where Joe Biden just comes right out and says, not he's moved it up from war crimes, which is bad enough, but it's kind of a, an event by event thing. You know, war crimes are committed. One person can commit a war crime, mm-hmm. right? And then you can send that person to, to whatever, you know, tribunal that they might appear in front of. President Biden stepped it up to genocide. Mm-hmm in his rhetoric. And that becomes the policy of this nation. So we have now crossed the transom here where we're saying Vladimir Putin has taken the nation of Russia and committed genocide against Ukraine. That's a sign that we plan on shutting them out of the maximum number of international organizations and to subject the individuals behind these heinous acts to sanctions on up through criminal prosecution. It's really interesting as well. You point that out, that escalation. I mean, it's not official policy yet, but it certainly is an indication he's going to do that. The policy will change to genocide. When they have someone like Mr. Medvedchek in their control right now, you know, it's hard to get Putin because you have to get into Russia and Russia is not a signatory of the International Criminal Court, but Ukraine is. And if Mr. Medvedchek is now under arrest in Ukraine, if he has any responsibility for any of these attacks that have been taking place in Ukraine by Russians, he could be sent to the International Criminal Court for War Crimes Tribunal, and he is Putin's very close friend. So this is not something that Mr. Putin would not be aware of, that, you know, his very close best friend, godfather of his children, or grandchildren, much whatever, is potentially, could be up at the International Criminal Court facing genocide charges, if he has any responsibility well, yeah. or involvement in this. Yes, but we should not forget that Medvedchuk has already been placed under arrest and charged with high treason in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And this is for war crimes that he already committed Mm -hmm. from the time that Russia invaded in 2014. Mm. So, you know, this has to, I don't know what comes first, but I would say, yes, that comes first. The Ukrainians have him. He is charged with high treason. And there is substantial evidence of crimes he committed in Crimea and also in the Donetsk region uh, related to the early stages of the war eight years ago. Mm. Uh, those are the crimes that he's being charged with, um, um, you know, very substantial crimes. Well, he could be up for genocide um, charges as well. I mean, that's simply the way this looks like it's going. There's no doubt there's genocide. You can't, you can't look at this and say they're targeting yes, innocent civilians it's simply planned, because they're Ukrainians. Policy, it's yeah. genocide, yes. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So what Putin's doing very brilliantly, I'm sorry, Biden's doing very brilliantly, he's always stepping up a little bit ahead of everybody else and says what everyone else is thinking. And sooner or later, not probably later, sooner the the policy changes officially. And we'll see that across NATO probably. Sorry, I just wanted to say that I I think that Biden is skillful there because he's a little bit ahead of where the American people maybe as a whole can be. And Mm -hmm. that's where a U.S. president needs to be. But 
I also think in contrast to that, Putin is just so far behind the reality, mm-hmm. and that's part of why he was losing. So, Eric, you were mentioning about, you know, the unity of the Ukrainian people being demonstrated, and, you know, there's no such thing as this pro-Russian faction. There was no chance that Medvedchuk would be accepted by anybody as a puppet leader or anything. We would have no support. He would, you know, survive only with, you know, hundreds of gunmen around him that's, a, you know, not a leader of any kind. But... That's being behind the times. That was actually the case, this unified Ukraine with the revolution of dignity eight years ago. And it was Mm. demonstrated when Russia first invaded. The idea that a pro-Russian faction could have any part in government, it was dead by 2014. It just Mm. could not happen again. Mm. And it will not happen again. So what we see in this war was just... A further step you know the tiny number of sympathetic people to Russia oh let's understand Russia that has now just disappeared right but it was never except the GOP by the way I will say they still somehow miraculously seem to find ways of supporting Putin's kind of policies and other things while objecting to him in the war which is just uh, I don't know how you you read that needle but they do we are out of time and we hadn't gotten to the Roger Stone story yet I I feel like I should play at least the first minute of this tape that Jason Sullivan was recorded he's an associate of Roger Stone this was published in the New York Times today we will have a full show on this or attempt to have a full show on this tomorrow if we can because There's so much to report around this, but it is just for the news sake of it, important for everyone to listen to what was said by Mr. Sullivan on tape just days before the insurrection on January the 6th. Maybe it isn't here, so maybe we'll only hear it tomorrow. How's that? Okay, we'll hear it tomorrow. It is on the New York Times website, but uh, it's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that it sounds a lot like they were planning an insurrection. There's just, there's, it's the same thing as the genocide. It's clear they were planning an insurrection and this was intended to be some sort of coup. I mean, there's no, you can't escape these kinds of obvious, you know, and I don't know where people expect the declaration to come from. I mean, this is really just the reality. There was an attempt by the GOP and Trump's inside circle to manufacture an insurrection so they could maintain power beyond the elections and overturn the elections. It just, uh, the, it's very hard to see it any other way. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. Nope, you, you kind of nailed it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it just is what it is. It's sort of, you get to the point where that's all we have. I'm trying to find a few here, but I, you know, it's going to take me too long to figure out where the take. Ah, I know, I think I found it. Here we go. Um, we'll just listen to a minute. I promise it won't be much longer than that, but it's certainly instructional for everyone because it gives you a good sense of, of what was said. It's going to do something, and it's going to be where people are actually going to be arrested. And I know you've been hearing that for a long time, but it won't happen. Can I, can, can I ask a quick question? Yes, sir. Uh, because I have to cut myself off pretty soon. Is he going to declare an insurrection or martial law? Uh, there, there, there very well may be some limited form of martial law. Uh, I don't know that it's okay. the Insurrection Act. Okay, because it is uh, it's been deemed unconstitutional. Um, there's a lot of argument about that, but who knows? President Trump does what President Trump wants to do. Okay, so people can advise him all they want, so their face turns blue. At the end of the day, he's gonna—he's his own man. He's gonna call his own shots. So he very well may. So he's his own man. He will call his own shots. That's uh, and he—I mean, it's as clear as anything. <laughs> That's what they were planning. Just to might, there might be a light hint, a soupçon of military law, of martial law. There might yeah. be a little bit of fascism, <laughs> a, a, a hint <laughs> of totalitarianism, yeah. a, a touch little of bit of <laughs> a touch of coup d'état, as the yeah. French say. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, it's, 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 it's shocking that they get away with this. It really is. The is it, rest is of the this tape- what getting away with it looks like? Yeah. I don't know, man. If we're if you're on there, generally, if you're on Narrative Live, it's not going well for you. I right. mean, not being the guest. I mean, if we're yeah, talking so, about you like that, Michael, you're good. We're good. I think. I mean, but if you're the subject of our stories, yeah. um, you should lawyer up generally. I hope he's lawyered up or he might have even turned evidence. I mean, it seems at this point that he's so implicated. This is someone so close to Roger Stone. And it's interesting. We'll discover this tomorrow. But his whole thing, his whole shtick in this whole, he brags about in this entire tape is about how he's so good at getting the social media attention to a viral event, you know, and he's going to make this thing go viral. It's going to make the insurrection go viral. I mean, of course, it's going to be viral. <laughs> I mean, duh. you're throwing an insurrection to get man, attention it's so on social big, media. It's big, man. Yeah. It's so big that, you know, the DOJ is investigating it, Congress <laughs> investigating. Like, it went, woo! Yeah, I mean, they didn't want attention, which they seem to, after the fact, not want very much attention to the <laughs> tourist event, as they called it. Then they shouldn't have, uh, they shouldn't have done it, obviously. But the, the fact that they had a social media campaign so they could make it look even bigger is ridiculous. God, they, and, they had like a Supreme Court justice or two. Yeah, right. Remember that. And then there's, there's also the fact that we'll show this tomorrow. September is when Trump started using the term Insurrection Act. September 12th, I think. So before the elections, he was starting to Dude, use the they, term. No, it wasn't before this election. It was before the 2016 election. Right. Roger Stone was on Alex Jones's show, and he said, look, if the election is stolen and we can't stop the steal, then the streets of America are going to be a bloodbath. If you steal this election from Trump, that was live late October, I think, of 2017 or sorry, 2016. And then, oops, he won and Hillary didn't. So they couldn't. Oh, God, we got to we got to bloodbath this thing. Oh, my God. We have to actually get people in the cabinet. What's Ben Carson doing? Oh, God. You know. We have to govern. Oh, no. We get we got to get people's son-in-laws. We got to get. you know, we got to drag Kellyanne Conway out of the sewer pipe and, you know, just. Jared, you want to be the yeah. deputy president, Jared Kushner? We'll pay you uh, $2 billion if you take the gig, <laughs> something like that. All right. That's the show tonight. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, Michael McKay, for being here. Tell everyone how they Thank can you. find you again. Uh, at MHMCK on Twitter. Okay, and Eric Garland at Game Theory Today, which is available where you get your podcasts, but also. They can find you online at Eric Garland. Anything else you want to share with uh, everyone before we say goodnight? No, it's classified. (laughs) Everything you do is classified. Thanks very much, everyone. And thank you for being part of Narrative tonight. Please go to patreon.com forward slash narrative to support us. There's no other way we make these programs without your help. So please do that. And thanks as well to our sponsor, Athletic Greens, where you can go and get uh, generous freebies, as they say. If you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. Have a good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.